Good day to you all. Uh, festive wishes and all that. <laughs> and to you as well, Harvey. Aye, and I hope you don't mind giving the old secret Santa a miss this year. Uh, since Brexit, uh, things have been uh, rather tight. You were rather tight with your money before Brexit, if uh, memory serves. <laughs> well, <laughs> at least the old uh, secret bottle party is still on the cards. <laughs> I, uh, I took the liberty of uh, helping myself a little earlier. <laughs> ah. So that's where my scotch went. <laughs> uh, so, uh, what do you propose we do for this edition of the uh, Richard Usher podcast? Uh, I mean, it is Christmas. Well, that's true, but we should really just treat things as as usual. Uh, a simple look back at December. And being the Richard Usher podcast, it'll be pretty simple, I can tell you. Oh, yes, oh. yes. Mm-hmm. Well, we don't want to turn it into the little and large Christmas show. Ooh. They diddled me out of three Bob Rail fare when I was warm-up man for them in Skeggy. E. Okay, that's agreed then. Aside from Mr. Bernard's Christmas message, pretty much business as usual. It's all tosh anyway. Uh, everything set for our uh, festive podcast, fellas? Yes! Yes! isn't Yorkshire Television. And now, pre-recorded for censorship purposes and available via a small tape recorder at the Emily Moore transmitter, time for more classic comedy in On the Rail Replacement Buses. The Richard Usher Podcast. Assorted audio antics from Larynx Productions. Written and presented by Richard Usher. The wolves are running, Master Harker. A warm and, dare I say, festive welcome to the December edition of the Richard Usher podcast. Plenty of on-this-day fun to be enjoyed or endured as we look back over the twelfth month in times past. You could say it's all humbugs and history. So let's unwrap our first audio present from beneath the podcast tree and take you back to the first of the month in 1918 and the historic speech given by Lady Astor, upon becoming the first woman to take a seat in the House of Commons. I shall not begin by craving the indulgence of the House. I'm only too conscious that the indulgence and the courtesy of the House I know that it was very difficult for some honourable members to receive the first lady MP into the house. <laughs> it was almost as difficult for some of them as it was for the lady MP herself to come in. Honourable members, however, should not be frightened of what Plymouth sends out into the world. After all, I suppose when Drake and Raleigh wanted to set out on their venturesome careers, some cautious person said, Do not do it. It has never been tried before. You stay at home, my sons, cruising around in hell or water. 
What's this fuggledy-doy saying, Carstairs? Well, by the dickens, is, is the fellow wearing a dress? <laughs> I'm not sure, old boy. I think he's saying something about his thumbs cruising around in a Plymouth bubble. One of those dash garish American motor car they imagined. <laughs> but why, why is he wearing a dress? <laughs> it's Lady Nancy Esther. Nancy, what? <laughs> I am quite certain that the women of the world will not forget that it was the fighting men of Devon who dared to send the first woman to represent women in the mother of Pyman. Now, as the West Country people are a courageous lot, it is only right that one of their representatives should show some courage. And I am perfectly aware that it does take a bit of courage to address the house on that vexed question, drink. <laughs> so you're the new chart. Pot of old grave, Today sees the publication of what some commentators are calling the most far-reaching document since, well, since that other one we, uh, we don't mention. Uh, you mean that tatty bit of old paper that uh, old Chamberlain waved at us all before the war started? <laughs> uh, yes. I will introduce my guest in a moment. Uh, but indeed, today we'll see the publication of the Beverage Report on Social Insurance and Allied Services said to propose widespread reform to the system of social welfare here in Great Britain. Created by a group chaired by economist William Beveridge, this report outlines a reward for the sacrifices undertaken by everyone in the country. With me is Sir James Partington Sturge, a minister without portfolio, instrumental in the formation of this document. It's all about the face. I, I beg your pardon? All about the face. Uh, about the face. Uh, the, the, the typeface. <laughs> that was my input, don't you know? <laughs> I see. Now, I understand Mr. Beveridge... And I've no idea what happened to my portfolio. <laughs> I had it with me on the noon trade into Waterloo. <laughs> Devil of a thing. <laughs> well, I understand that the report has identified five giant evils, the war accepted currently affecting society, uh, squalor, ignorance, want, idleness, and disease. Ah, yes, indeed, yes. Uh, dear old William and the rest of us, we'd had quite a few beverages by the time we came up with that little list. <laughs> Sorry, uh, don't you mean beverages? Ah, yes, 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 those two. Oh, yes, the bar of the old rogues club in Rotten Row made a small fortune that night. <laughs> These great evils, uh, your committee and this report are set to address these areas and focus on a system of social welfare and reform, are they not? Well, yes, yes. Uh, we, we hope to see an end to widespread squalor, ignorance, uh, want, idleness and disease by, uh, oh, uh, I should say, 2015, uh, 2016, something like that. <laughs> 73 years is a long time. Could it not be achieved sooner? 
Good heavens, no. <laughs> you can't expect governments to commit to anything longer than their five-year terms. That's unrealistic. <laughs> slowly, slowly, catchy monkey. <laughs> I would anticipate that at the very least by 2015, the concepts of uh, squalor, ignorance, want and idleness uh, will, will be focused in only one area, uh, television reality and talent shows. Uh, possibly Deptford, too. Two for the price of one there. Or, as one shopkeeper put it when I was asking where the deodorants had moved to, bog off. Uh, the second of our offerings referred to the Beverage Report of 1942, the report that formed the basis of the welfare state in Britain. Now we leap forwards a day and 27 years to the 2nd of December 1969 and the public preview of the new Boeing 747 jumbo jet. Most of the 191 passengers flying from Seattle to New York City were reporters and photographers. Nice, smooth flying, John. The 747 is a thing of beauty. Sure is. You think the passengers are having as much fun? With all that champagne flowing, <laughs> you betcha. All those reporters and press photographers, they go anywhere for a free drink. <laughs> Time I checked in. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen of the press. This is the captain. Uh, hope you're enjoying this preview flight out of Seattle. Bound for New York, uh, our ideal cruise altitude will be uh, up to about 40,000 feet. We're currently just below that at 38,000 feet. This Boeing uh, 747 is a wide-body design airliner and uh, has two and a half times greater capacity than the old 707. You just made that up. I did not. It's in the manual. Didn't you study it? Nah, I never do. Keep flying till the lights go red. <laughs> That's my way. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Life's too short. So, uh, as I mentioned, uh, heading towards uh, 39,000 feet, uh, we began cruising at around uh, 29,000 feet. It's uh, part of a step climbing process. Uh, now, as you're all members of the press on board today, we've uh, been asked to give you all a really special preview. Uh, this request comes uh, from all the politicians, uh, movie stars, hard-working uh, union men and decent folks you screwed over across the years. <laughs> Hold on to your free lunch. Here we go. Now, some people are organised and start getting ready for Christmas early, sometimes on Boxing Day. One man who leaves things until a little later than most is the master of mirth and shopping bargains, Ben Bernard. Blog off Ben Bernard. The art of Christmas past. You might call this last-minute Christmas shopping. I call it a tradition. Oh, yes. Every year around this time, I, I pop along to Cleethorpe's finest emporium. We still sell it. <laughs> Generally speaking, if you check in with Carboot Colin in early November with a list of requirements, 
By the last furlong before Christmas, he's worked a miracle and got me everything I need. I'm not sure how he does it. He's like Lincolnshire's answer to Santa Claus. Most folks make do with the modern stuff. Wrapping paper that rips as soon as you touch it and on rolls that last about three prezzies. Then there's the sticky tape that comes adrift more easily than the clothes on that there game of thrones. And them self-adhesive gift tags that end up on the side of this stocking so no one has a clue who was due to get what parcel. I like a good sturdy reel of tape. Manly tape. The kind of sellotape that needs a metal cutter to get through it. You used to be able to get tape like that back in the day. Aye. And wrapping paper that could slice off the top of your finger if you tried the older slide and rip. Carboot Colin has come up with the goods again. I've got me tape, me paper, and a good supply of tags with so much glue on the back you'd probably find it shergar and red rum if you did a DNA test. <laughs> this year he's, he's got something to save the old banal tongue from all that paper licking as well. One of them office-style rollers in a reservoir of water. They were popular in the civil service back in the late 80s. Aye. Refreshments are covered as well. Now, now Delia buys all the groceries from Little or Aldi. But I'm in charge of the booze and pop rum. So, two cases of baby champ. One or two bottles of snowball stuff for the oldies. A bottle of vintage Croft Original Sherry from 1985, a couple of boxes of Hemmerling Lager, and some vintage Hansa for old times' sake. The kids like their pop, so uh, Cole's come up with a couple of crates of Larkspur Lemonade, Cherryade, and Orangeade. Y y you know your kids are drinking proper fizzy pop when their tongues are stained and they've got matching rings around their lips. But Carboot Colin also excels. When it comes to gift buying, brand new, unopened, as fresh as the day they were boxed classics at rock bottom prices, our Barry wants a PlayStation 4. He's getting a Radoffin, the poor man's Atari. But just wait till he plays the Space Invaders, his little face will light up. Bernice wants an iPod, but I've managed to get something that, uh, that she can treasure. None of the other kids will have an original Sony Walkman with built-in microphones so that you, you can stick your headphones on and listen to yourself eating cornflakes in real time. As for Delia, well, let's just say that when Leslie Crowther had one on the uh, prices right, it was worth a few bob. He, Yuletide all wrapped up, courtesy of We Still Sell It. A Merry Christmas, one and all. The Art of Christmas Past was written, performed, edited and produced by Richard Usher. Blog Off Ben Bernard is a Larynx production. Listening to the Richard Usher podcast, and no doubt festooned with silly string, glitter, and baubles. Or is that the tree? Anyway, moving along to the 3rd of December 1983, 
and, as well as finding that Nancy had already eaten his chocolate Air Force One from his advent calendar, President Ronald Reagan ordered that three-foot-high concrete barriers were to be installed at two of the White House entrances. Steady as you go, Zeke. Steady as you go. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. Great, great work, Zeke. Yep, you got it. Yep, good work, fellas. Uh, that's both entrances completed. Okay, buddy. Hey, maybe the president will shout in the beer, huh? Oh, old stay dry, Regan. <laughs> Some hope, Zeke. <laughs> what are these barriers for, anyway? Security, Zeke. Three feet of reinforced concrete. Anyone hoping to get a car through here without a check at the checkpoint? Boy, they're in for a surprise. There ain't no getting past these Long before Ebenezer Scrooge came on the scene, and more of that later, and sometime before old warty face Oliver Cromwell banned Christmas, a certain William Pitt the Younger ruined the 4th of December for many by introducing income tax in Britain. He did this to finance a war with revolutionary France, and we've been paying for it ever since, in more ways than one. Oh. Oh. This digging don't get any easier at my age. Oh. What is your age, Bert, if you don't mind me asking? Seventy-five. So, why are you digging plots in the graveyard? You should be retired. Well, I was retired. But then that ruddy Prime Minister of ours decided to bring in this new uh, income tax. Well, I'd rather I had something for him to tax. Who knows what they take in loot? Okay. Still, seems a bit odd. You digging this hole and now filling it in again on top of an empty box. There's method to the madness, Ron. You finished that headstone yet? Yep, yep, yep. Just chiselled in the last letter. William Pitt the Younger. Hey, isn't that the Prime Minister? He ain't dead. Why am I making out this headstone if he ain't dead? You're not planning anything criminal, are you? Nah, nothing dodgy, Ron. It's just that at 75, I'm not likely to outlive the son of a whatsy. So this is the only way I can dance on the little bugger's grave. A one, two, a one, two, three, four. I just hope that listening to this podcast isn't as taxing. Now, this podcast probably wouldn't exist if it hadn't been for one momentous occasion back on the 6th of December in 1877, when Thomas Edison recorded himself reciting a famous poem. My name is Thomas Alvar Edison, and this is my first experimental sound recording. Mary had a little lamb, little lamb, Little lamb, Mary had a little lamb whose fleece was white as snow. And everywhere that Mary went, Mary went, Mary went, everywhere that Mary went, the lamb was sure to go. He followed her to school one day, school one day, school one day, 
But she took a different turn and went another way. She walked into the abattoir without regret or care. Mary had that little lamb slaughtered for her dinner. She used the meat for a juicy chop and a lovely shepherd's pie. Hey, wait a minute. That don't even scan. It's December, okay? There's only so much material I can write before things start getting very silly. Now let's move forwards to the 9th of December in 1960 and the very first episode of a legendary soap opera set in Manchester was broadcast by ITV. I wonder if things would have sounded a little different if it had been set somewhere else. Perhaps the other side of the Pennines. Henrietta, how's it going? No bread and dripping for me today, love. Uh, today, I need to buy something by way of a welcome to the street gift for that uh, Elsie Tanner mare that's just fetched up a few doers down. Uh, she's re-tighty-tighty, but with a name like Tanner, we all know where she works, eh? Over at the Leatherworks. Don't be daft, Leatherworks. No, she's the one running that newfangled place with them sunbeds. The modern world, Henrietta, the modern world, it has no place in Coronation Street, I can tell thee that. If Annie Walker and Ina Chuffin Sharples want a suntan, they hire themselves off to Ilkley Morford Day. Hence the song, on Ilkley Morford Tam, on Ilkley Morford Tam. No, 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 oh. Bill. You're as wrong as Albert Tetlock's new mermaid in a G-string tattoo. It's Ilkley Moor Bartet. It's where Albert went, you see. Aye, well, I'll not say they're right and I'll not say they're wrong. But if I wanted tan, I used cold gravy like any normal person. That or have a dump in a suitable receptacle and wait for the smell to die off. Best to keep it moist, though, so you can spread it properly. Hey, is that the factory hooter in Rosamond Street? I don't reckon it is. That sounds more like the 12 o'clock Huddersfield fire. slightly off track there with that reimagined first episode of Coronation Street. Now, a classic tale of spirits, greed and redemption. Yes, it was back on the 17th of December in 1843 that A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens was published. <laughs> now look here, Charles, this story of yours, I mean, what the Shakespeare? Were you smoking something illicit when you wrote this thing? I mean to say, door knockers turning into death's heads, ghosts wandering about willy-nilly through people's houses, scaring the bejesus out of old folks. Come along now, Charles, leave that sort of thing to the Daily Mail and opportunist burglars for goodness sake. <laughs> so, you won't publish it, Sir James. This is a powerful tale of greed, of ignorance and want, but with a message of hope. 
of redemption and the true meaning of Christmas. Eating yourself silly and getting squiffy on port with people you never see for the rest of the year, you mean. <laughs> I mean to say, look at your protagonist, this, this Ebenezer Good. Scrooge? If you say so. <laughs> I mean to say, he has a perfectly reasonable job in the city. A sort of banker chap, happy to loan out money for a reasonably high level of return. Why the bashing of the bankers, Dickens? Are you saying that they're not decent sorts? Are you telling me the, the aforementioned Daily Mail and other reputable newspapers are wrong again? Dash silly name, too. Why, why not go for something more realistic? And then how about Osborne? Uh, George Osborne or, or Jeremy Hunt? Uh, that opening line of yours. Read it again. Marley was dead to begin with. There was no doubt whatever about that. The register of his burial was signed by the clergyman, the clerk, the undertaker, and the chief mourner. Yes, you see, no very similitude in a name like Marley, unless you're making the first ghost Jamaican. <laughs> no, I, I think you should try something like, uh, like, uh, the, the Hopkins. <laughs> yes, yes, Katie Hopkins. Or, uh, Hitler, Adolf Hitler. <laughs> now, there's a name for people to believe in. <laughs> Adolf Hitler was dead. To begin with, there was no doubt about that. You see? Works beautifully. Macaroon? And that brings us to the close of our podcast for December. Thank you for listening and supporting us through the past year. And I wish you all a very happy Christmas and look forward to entertaining you in the new year. And don't forget, you can still subscribe at iTunes and other outlets. You have been enduring the award-avoiding Richard Usher podcast. Written, performed, edited and produced by Richard Usher. With some assistance from Glisten Media. Jazz comedy theme courtesy of bensound.com. The Richard Usher podcast is a Larynx production.